Hey, have you been thinking about starting a podcast? And have you done your research? And they've told you that you need to buy certain equipment? Well, if you want to start off a podcast the cheapest way, I'll tell you to download Anchor. You can create your own cover art, you can record episodes, you can edit your episodes, and you don't even have to worry about distributing your episodes. Anchor will do it all for you. They'll send it to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many, many more. So I encourage you to download the Anchor app if you're interested in creating your own podcast. Hey, so welcome to the Mental Block with Shelby. Um, today I'm speaking to a history professor or teacher. I like <laughs> the word professor, um, Pedro, and um, we we are colleagues, and um, we have conversations on a daily basis about what's happening um, in the news, and you know, we're making history. We've been making history for, I guess, every day. But more so, like what's going to be remembered is what's happening, I guess, from 2020 to now. So, Pedro, um, you know, it's Black History Month. And for this month, more so, um, I was speaking to like my nephews and a couple other people. And and they're like, oh, like, why do we get the shortest month? So some people really don't understand why February is actually celebrated as Black History Month. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I see. So. Part of it is in the 1880s and 1890s, um, um, you have uh, Grover Cleveland making it, I believe Grover Cleveland, and I could be, you could correct me later. Um, it might be uh, another, you know, president at the time, but decided to make it Black History Month. Um, part of it was because the birthday of Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass fell on these dates of, uh, I believe, oof, the 8th and the 21st or something like that, I believe, Frederick Douglass. But I, again, I could be wrong. Um, also, um, you have to remember, too, that, yes, it's the shortest month, but it's not how big the month is, but what the month contained as far as whose birthdays those were, right? So Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass, two of the most um, important people of the 19th century, um, excluding those abolitionists like Charles Sumner and Thaddeus Stevens uh, of the of the House of Representatives, as well as you know Harriet Tubman, um, uh, Sojourner Truth. You have all these uh, other abolitionists. Um, uh, the the uh, the founder of the Liberator, um, whose birthday doesn't have anything to do with this, but I figured I'd throw him in. Um, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm at a loss for his name right now, but he was a a white man, believe it or not, who believed slavery was evil and was this, such a staunch abolitionist that he was almost pulled out of his um, print shop and hung in the streets by other white men and women. So, I mean, it, you, you have a lot of um, a lot of history in this month, as well as Juneteenth, um, which is another important holiday. Uh, you know, you have those two things kind of together. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. I mean, like, for me growing up, like, Black History Month was something that was taught to us. And, like, we actually celebrated, like, things were actually hung up around the school. Mm -hmm. We actually learned about Black History Month. And I just feel as though this country, and I shouldn't say this country, but, like, more so for Connecticut when I was in school, um, it moved away from celebrating the month. And um, even being an educator, 
more so, you know, like I do more of the mental health stuff. <laughs> but yeah. um, I, I, I can tell you, like, I haven't seen um, many schools celebrate Black History Month like that. And I, I even in college for me, uh, we had um, one of the girls I went to school was from New York, and she actually had to um, convince them to put on a Black History Month um, show. It, just to celebrate it, and I thought it was kind of weird. Yeah, I I mean, in Massachusetts, I think it's a little bit the same way. We might celebrate it more, but I think part of the reason is um, you you've seen um, is uh, this rise in uh, white nationalism uh, with people like Trump. Um, you know, I, I, you have other things like the fact that, um, I, you know, you remember Charlottesville in 2017. Yeah. Um, so, you know, these are things that, uh, white America's always kind of pushed it down. And I'm going to say on your, your show here, um, I'll be the first one to admit that it's ironic that a white man is talking about black history and culture, but, um, I'm trying to stick to it as a historically historical perspective as much as possible because as a white man with some Spanish ancestry I don't know the personal and cultural lives of the black community as well as you know people who are actually black so I want to make that you know very very clear that I cannot say well this is how it is and this is how it's not I won't ever (laughs) try to say that as much as I can because um, no matter matter how much you, you try to be accepting and learn about other cultures, you're always going to have bias in who you are as an individual. And even I have bias, uh, racial bias, and I have to be aware of that at every moment when every time I say something, whether it be to a white person or to a black person. And it's hard because, you know, you, you, you always, you know, as human beings, we may never realize it. It's, it's culturally ingrained in who we are. As far as a white guy, I am. I I have to go to myself. Am I saying things or laughing at a joke because it's funny, or am I laughing at it because I have hatred in my heart and racial prejudice, and I just enjoy the fact that I can revel in my whiteness? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So I have to be like, you know, because let's be honest, there are jokes that white people tell, and they know they shouldn't. Um, but they do it anyway, because, Hey, we're alone and there's only white people around. So, and I see it with my brother-in-laws, my uncles, my family, and I'll be the first one to admit that I don't give a shit who you are. You're a white person. You've dealt with racial prejudice and you've probably even contributed to it. Yeah. I think that's the hardest part about it is that some people, um, at least some people that I know, like, as far as, like, Caucasian, I don't know. Some of them don't even want to be called Caucasian no more. Um, yeah. <laughs> they, um, the idea behind it is that, like, you know, they can say whatever they want and um, people are supposed to just be okay with it. And and I think that now it's just not, you can't just say whatever you want. Because before they would say stuff and it's like, it would be that room full of people like, did they just say what I thought they said? But And nobody said anything and nobody called them out. But I think what's making it more apparent even from 2020 is that you have other white people calling out white people. And and I think that's that's a beautiful thing because I don't have to be there to, to say that that's racist or they'll call them out on their own. And 
I think is a beautiful thing. And like I was telling my my fiance, I was like, you know, like I have like I said, like you said, everybody has their own racial bias, and that I'll always have mine. Like I have my stereotypes. I really wholeheartedly believe that some white people really can't cook and they don't use seasoning. And I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> Like that's how I mean. It's a joke. Oh, that I'm sorry. Make. You mean my wife? <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm. But it's a joke that everybody makes. I mean, because I always tell my friend, I was like, okay, so Columbus um, went to go like discover places for seasonings, and you mean tell me like people still don't season their food? I mean, we make jokes, and I think that like if you know a person and you know that that's not who they are, I believe, or that's not how you feel them to believe, then I don't think that you. At least for me, I don't think I would take it any kind of way unless someone has shown me something for me to have an inkling that that is that they may be racist. If that makes sense, I feel like comedy is comedy. Jokes are jokes. I mean, every race, every culture has things that we do that other cultures don't understand that they may find funny and um, make jokes about it. So, I mean, I think for me, more so, like I'm accepting of those things, but I think for some people, it's still kind of uncomfortable. But I, I don't know. What, how I, do you feel about that? Well, yeah, I mean, as a white person, like, because, uh, you know, the quote-unquote white guilt I have, uh, and I always <laughs> have it, uh, because as an American, my history is a history of, of racism and slavery in this country. And even though I make positive, try to make positive changes, it's a problem. But basically, it's harder for me, I think, to talk about race. And you can tell me if I'm wrong based on your experiences, but it's harder for me as a white person to talk about race than I think it is for a black person, but I might be wrong. Am I wrong in that saying and saying that you think? No, I don't. I, I think, um, I think, yeah, I think for, for white people it's harder because then for them it's uncomfortable. Like for black people it's not as uncomfortable because it has been depicted in everything. Yeah. Like, you know, like within our history, like, prime example your history teacher we don't learn our history like you know you have spanish you know you have like spanish influence in your family whereas with with african americans or other black folks we really don't know our true culture like and i think that is where what it all is like when you have white national white is right or whatever the hell it is or supremacist and you have the same thing these are the same fuckers who are celebrating um what is it oh god the little green person a little green person <laughs> it's I'm next trying- month what is that what is that holiday next month lord have mercy everybody everybody oh, oh, is uh, uh, st patrick's day yes, st. Yeah, patrick's yeah. okay so everybody is oh, leprechauns you were talking about leprechauns <laughs> <laughs> i know i'm so awful okay. i am so awful i am so sorry if somebody is like full irish i do not mean to offend no, you no it's okay i'm not irish my wife is but that doesn't matter no but the thing of it is it's just like so like when you have people who celebrate like those like holidays or like i'm part this i'm 50 percent this but then you're telling everybody that they need to leave this country and it's like where the fuck do you think you came from like yeah yeah it it baffles me um when when i think about that so it's so weird like oh you guys need to go back to where you come from it's like oh no we'll go back when you go back first Uh, yeah yeah, I, 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 you have, you can't, I can't tell you how many times um, people say that. And I don't think, uh, and a lot of them are, are of Irish descent. And I look at them and I said, do you know how many times people said, go, no Irish need apply for signs on their doors as much as they put no coloreds need apply? 
like at one point in Boston and in areas all in, throughout the the country uh, that, you know, Irish were treated a little better than blacks. I mean, it was, you know, and that's because uh, for a lot of reasons, they were poor. They had just come out of the Irish potato famine. Oh, yeah. They uh, thought they were going to bring the famine over. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, or they thought they were just dirty. The, 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 the trope has always been drunken Irish people who, who have alcoholic problems and beat their families and don't know how to hold down a job. I mean, that's the, that was the Irish trope from eight, from the 1860s, 1850s to, to all the way up into the 20th century. I mean, you, you have that whole concept of like an Irish person is a person who drinks who doesn't know how to hold down a job, who's uneducated, um, who uh, who's probably Catholic. And that was a big, for a long time, Catholics were considered an enemy of the country, um, especially during, right before the Civil War, there was called the Know Nothing Party. And their their stance was um, uh, no, no blacks, no slavery, um, no Irish, no immigrants, and no Catholics. So So they were like, they were basically like um, the nativist party. Like they wanted, they wanted America to stay Protestant, white, English, not Irish. And, and they didn't want slavery, but not because they weren't racist, but because they didn't want to have to have workers try to find jobs when there were none, because all of a sudden North has lots of slavery. So their fear was slavery because for them, their whole job was free labor, free soil, free men. Um, so for them, free men meant free white men uh, to do the free labor. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, that, that's sort of and that's been and that's all. And there's always been that nativist leaning, you know, a lot of what even my father, who's who is a born immigrant, says you should speak English when you come here and um, and and you should come into the country the right way and not just hop the border. Uh, my father is very adamant about this. I mean, he's ve- he's very conservative, my father who's an immigrant and he voted for Trump. I'll tell you right now. He did. I, I won't tell you his name, but I'll tell you uh, <laughs> because I, I don't want people to go chasing him down, but I can tell you right now he voted for Trump. He has very conservative ideas about what it means to be an American. Um, and I think part of that reason is um, I'm not going to say because he's uneducated because he never went to college, but um, he does, he he has a thinking about him because of based on what he's experienced as an American and who he's talked to. My father's been a factory worker all his life and he's mainly been exposed to white working class men. And so for him um, and, and his, my mother is a white from a white working class family. Um, I'm, I am from a white working class family, but I'm the first in my family to not be in the working class. I'm considered in the white collar class, you know, the class that that's a teacher or an office worker or like you, Shelby, you're you are considered part of that white collar class. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and so our experiences, I would say, are very different than, say, our parents. So I think that kind of influences our our view of of immigrants coming into the United States. And I think you, you made a good point. I think you talked to me before about how Jamaicans or Caribbean in black individuals have a different perspective on you know, African-Americans, they do not consider themselves African-Americans. No, makes sense, don't you right? ever. <laughs> yeah, right. You can and that's a big, that's a big deal, right? Because um, I, I've, well, some of the readings I've read into is that like um, there were half 
black individuals in the Caribbean who considered themselves white. And they thought of other blacks who are darker than them as, as dirty, quote, poor. dirty and uneducated, poor. Uh, when Jamaica ceased slavery, excuse me, in um, the 1830s, 1840s, um, I think that you have like this sudden hierarchy came to yeah. the fore. Okay, so you're talking then, about like coolies, like coolie, like that's what they call like coolie people. So they're like um, yeah, Indian uh, and Jamaican, but they're fair skin, like they're they're Indian and Jamaican, but they're not yeah. dark. Well, yeah, but you also have to remember too that it wasn't uncommon for slave masters to have children with black women and often not for their choice. And so you had this transition where white men or white women would have these children and sometimes they would take them into the household and treat them as their children because a lot of times they were very fair skinned. But then that complex with those um, lighter skinned half black children would be I'm better than them because I am white. And so they would they would know that they would feel that they wouldn't identify um, with white people as much, but they definitely knew that they felt themselves superior to other blacks. Yeah, I wonder if that forward. happens today, like, because I keep thinking about the dynamic between my niece and nephew. And what I mean by that, my niece is black and Spanish, but she's like very like yellow. <laughs> and my nephew <laughs> is Jamaican and black, and he's like by skin complexion, probably a little shade darker. And yeah. their experiences in, sorry, that's my dog. Their experiences in school is different. Like my, my nephew got treated a certain kind of way. Like if he were to talk to you, he'll tell you like how he, cause I asked him like his first time he experienced like racism and he'll tell yeah. you like he, first time he experienced it, I think he was like in fifth grade and he yeah. um, was stereotyped. Whereas my niece, um, she got called like a nigga before, but like she did, she wasn't aware of what that was. And even mm-hmm. one of the kids that she went to school with, like he um told her like, oh yeah, my parents don't let black people come to my parties, but he invited her because he didn't realize that she was black, you know. And then yeah. her mom showed up, and it was like, oh, um, yeah. And I was just reading today because I was gonna, I was getting ready to upload like my my little spotlight, so I was doing one on um this. This couple, so Mamie Phipps Clark and her husband, and after they, she actually did her master thesis, and I want to say is in 1943 on um, yeah. basically like internalized um, hate for African Americans and how being told constantly that white was better and that white people had like slimmer noses and you know just white features were better in general. Um, how young children between the ages of three and seven internalized of being ugly. I mean, it is a video. I don't know if you've ever seen it, like where a little girl is in the mirror and yes, she's yeah, I, that she's ugly. Yeah. I, I, so, so, yeah, I mean, for me, um, th- so for me, that is a very, um, I'm not going to say alien thing to me. I would say it's not something I've ever, you know, obviously I've never personally encountered it, but it was something I did study in college. Um, in my psychology courses, I, I can't speak much to it because, again, I'm not I'm, I'm definitely not black. But I can tell you um, that um, just because I want to make it clear that I, I don't want to sound like I'm telling you about black culture when I talk about it. But I, 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 I want to I mean, so what I mean is like there were studies that showed that our culture tends to perpetuate um, from a white perspective definitely seems to perpetuate the white narrative of what pretty means and children at a very young age take this in because children are hyper-focused on 
what identity is at a very young age. They, they begin to learn what male and female is difference between the ages of you know, three and six. And, and they begin to learn um, race when they, as they get older, it becomes more you know, clear. Um, and, and so our culture does tend to do it uh, more so and emphasizes it. And you can look, um, I mean, even, even the proportions of a Barbie, if you've ever looked at it, what a Barbie, our proportions are completely off. Um, and it creates a very um, insane uh, perspective on what it means to be a woman. And again, I'm not a woman. I can't speak for what it's like to be a woman. But based on what I've been researching and seeing, I can definitely see that sexism and racism plays a huge role it does. in how in how like children see themselves um, based on what I can see from the research. Yeah, because I had just um, in my last podcast, well, that I had uploaded last week, I was talking about um, how like my first experiences of um, realizing that I was different. One, I, I was the fat one. So like I got that I was different because I was fat. <laughs> but also too, for my sisters, they are like a little, well, now that we're older, we're like around the same complexion. But when we were yeah. younger, I was darker. Like, and I always like, it's so terrible to sit here and say this and God forgive me. But like, you know, you have the Beyonce and then you have the Kelly Rowland and I hate to say it, but like, I always felt like I was Kelly Rowland dark. Not saying that Kelly Rowland is ugly or anything, but it just like, they always made me feel like I was the backseat because, and it wasn't my sisters. It was other children that made fun of me for being darker. Um, Yeah. And the idea that like, oh, well, you can't be related to him because you're too dark. And even with my my um my family, like my family is a wide range of complexions. Like, like I said, my niece is very high yellow. Um, my aunt is um like I want to say like brown, like brown brown, like you know. Um, and even then, like my grandma and me happen to be like around the same skin tone. So my niece, I'll never forget. She, she was like around like four. She asked my grandma who my aunt's mom was because my aunt is darker than us. And then my grandma thought it was the funniest question that she could have ever asked her because she was like, what do you mean? She's like, I'm her mommy. My niece was like, no. And my grandma's like, no, I'm her mommy. But for my niece, she didn't understand like how someone of my grandma's skin complexion can have a darker child, (laughs) darker child. (laughs) <laughs> so like so I mean it's things like that but I do realize and I and now that you mentioned I do see like for me being a kid how I got made fun of early though like it was I think I had to be like in second or third grade and I got made fun of for being darker so for a long time and I could for a long time I dealt with like my own internal um views of how I was supposed to be seen um, being my complexion, my grandma's from the South and my grandfather's from Jamaica. And even mm-hmm. within that, they have their own complexes of, of what pretty is. And I can tell yeah. you that for my grandma, she would be the, like, if she doesn't mean to do it, I don't think that is, is meant to be done, but she'll yeah. say stuff like, oh, she's like, she's too dark to wear that color. And it's just like, no, they wear whatever they want to wear. And I just feel like yeah. for her time of growing up, that was the norm of if you were a certain skin complexion, you were not supposed to wear certain colors. You were not supposed to, you know, certain things you just weren't supposed to be doing because of how your skin tone looked. And I think now that we get into today's society, how you have um, more so like non people with African descent going to get surgeries to have the same things that they made fun of us for having 
like for young girls and like having big lips or having hips or legs and, and boobs. And like, I mean, they made they made these us feel like our features were so ugly. And then they went back and they bought. Them. And I just think that that to me is what is so crazy about all of this is that we are told that because we of our skin complexion that we're not cute. We're told because of our features that we look like animals or whatever. And then you have it where non people with non-African descent go and get these features, like lip injections. What the hell is the purpose for them? I I I totally see that as a as a man. I I mean I my experience is before I dated my wife, um the the I dated a few black women and there was a definite I, I don't know what the word is. Um, they brought up the same point to me once, a cu- one of them. Um, and they told me that that it's so weird that white women, from what they've told me, it's so weird white women try to be more like darker women. And like and then black women tend to be feel like they're ashamed of who they are. As per- it, was a, it was this thing that I had a discussion with them about it. And it always was the same thing where it, that was the thing that bothered them. And I, and I saw that I'm like, well, it's like why are women trying to get so freaking bronze and sitting in a, in a, you know, trying to get their skin darker, trying to get their lips inflated, um, <laughs> you know, trying to get the, trying to get a larger ass. Cause they have like, you know, they just want to float women. on top of the water. I'm playing. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's like they want to, they want to dip their toes in, but they don't want to go all the way Yeah, uh, or they, they, yeah. And, and, it, and then they make, and then they make the, the women of color feel uncomfortable because of what's portrayed in the media and what, and, and again, this isn't from personal experience, only from what I've been told and what I've come across in popular culture for me. Yeah. But it, it's stuff like that. Cause I can tell you like uh, growing up, like I, I grew into it. I had a body before I understood what a body was. <laughs> yeah. So it would be like, oh, like my grandparents, I grew up with my grandparents. So had I grown up with like my direct, like my, my parents, I think it probably would have been a little bit easier. But with my grandparents, they have their ways. And the idea like I had legs, I have big legs. So like you won't really ever catch me in short shorts. You won't certain things for work. I, I, I can tell you right now, I won't wear because of the shape that I have and what it looks like for me to wear a post. So if I was a white woman, I, it is more accepting, like even with hair colors, like, yeah, like white women can go on to interviews and shit like that with like purple and all different color hair. I'm not saying that like, depending on the job, it may not be so acceptable, but I feel like it's more accepting for them to wear it than it is for someone um, who is black or brown. And um, it's okay. But when we do it as ghetto, like yeah 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 no i i totally i've seen that i've actually seen and i'll I'll tell you this because i've seen managers in places i've worked in the past talk about this thinking that no one cares right that like no one and i i had to leave the room in my head because i realized that i was it was uncomfortable and i was because i wasn't saying anything i was participating in it you know what i'm saying but if i said something i knew that if i said something i would have been um thoroughly pushed aside so i just left but i regret that now um so this is i'm telling you now because <laughs> they would say things like they would say things like 
oh, we should. We, well, I'm glad we didn't hire that person. What well, was she? Was that where they? It's just like, and it was just white men because there were no women in the room. And I remember this very vividly. I can't tell you what job I was at, but I can tell you, it's a store that sells hardware goods. But anyway, um, it was all managers, and they were talking about who they wanted to hire and who they didn't want to hire. And one of the assistant store managers, again, all white white men in the room. And I was there because I was part of the install coordinating team that was part of this group. And so they said, oh, so we don't want to hire any more people of color anymore. I think uh, I think we're as diverse as we should be. And this was his words, um, which is basically overt racism, but just shielded. And, and, you know, and he goes, yeah, I don't want any more of these. Um, and I won't repeat the word, but, you know, and I, I just that set me off. My eyes opened up really wide. I wasn't even looking in their direction. I was working on the computer next to them. But it was almost like they didn't care. You know what I mean? Well, that's and, probably how they talk all the time. They probably were testing. Believe it or not, you probably were being tested. <laughs> I, I, I think I was. I think they were waiting for me to say something. Um, I think to, I think to note here, too, was there there was no HR manager there. So I think if the HR manager were, they would have restrained themselves more. Um, but even then I, I don't, cause he's an, the HR manager was a white guy too. So it, you know, it's like, (laughs) you know, it's like those things and surprised me because I didn't think all white guys talk like this or a lot of white guys. But then as, as, as the years gotten on, I realized that a lot of white guys talk like this when there's only white guys around, they talk like this and they don't realize that they're, they're pushing this racism into, into the, into white culture that's going to it's going to put it into an unconscious level and then they're going to spread it to their kids and then their kids are going to spread it to their kids and it's going to continue on for generations to generations because in their minds um what they don't understand they fear and i think that what's what comes down to it um they're never exposed to anyone of a different culture or religion or or creed um a lot of them grow up in white neighborhoods and this is why segregation like you know um de facto uh segregation um is is really bad because when you don't get exposed to other people of other religions creeds and races um you you become insular and you you forge these stereotypes in your head based on media and let's face it the media doesn't teach us to be better people Mm -hmm. um it's just you know um with the exception of free willy that movie's amazing um but the but the whole idea um is that like that that's a big thing and and as i've gotten into my 30s and i'm now going to be eventually in a few years going to go into my 40s i realize that white america hasn't really changed too much instead it's just gone more underground and that racism has gone more underground yeah, the system and yeah and, and and i can't even talk to you about the structure of racism within institutions that's a whole different racism that's like that's like racism on top of it's like onions, uh, layers. You know, Shrek <laughs> talked about layers, <laughs> right? It's just the same thing. It's just, and I didn't realize it. Once again, thank you for tuning into the Mental Block with Shelby. Um, you guys, I now have an Instagram, so you can follow me at Mental Block, and that is Block with two C's and no K. Um, feel free to reach out to me via DM. I do ask that you guys. If you don't like what I've said, that you let me know, but do it in a way that it can be informative and that we both can grow from the conversation. Um, 
Lastly, like I always say, I encourage you to reach out to a mental health professional within your area. If you do not have one, feel free to text the word HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741-741. Thank you guys and have a great day.